part of the media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. Open your Bibles to Psalm 51. We're going to start going through Psalm 51, 8 to 10 weeks, 8 minimum. That's what I've got kind of pointed out right now, but it may take a little bit longer. You know, we go, again, at different speeds. I, I know churches that uh, we've never been through Romans. We've done different aspects of Romans. We've never taken the whole of Romans. Heard of one church, they took three and a half years to go through the book of Romans. And my biggest wonder is, why did you go so fast? And so it was one of those things, you know, the book of Romans, if, if you convince yourself to do verse by verse, you're going to be there a while. And uh, But we're going to go kind of in a, a, a slow way because I truly believe that this is one of the most impactful messages that we, the church, need to hear today. And that is the role of repentance in, in both salvation, but, but in our sanctification, our growing in Jesus Christ. And as we begin this, you know, uh, that whole word is going to be centering on repentance. And I know a lot of different thoughts, pictures perhaps come to your mind when we say that word repentance. And basically, if you had to say, is that a lighter picture or a darker picture, which one comes to your mind? If I just, you know, say repentance, is it this bright and wonderful and kind of sunny picture? Or is it a little bit more of a gloomy, kind of a a darkened one? Does it reflect a little bit more of, of this? I mean, honestly, do you see repentance as more of something that is light-filled or dark-filled? I think most of us would probably kind of say this is somewhat characteristic of what we think of, of biblical repentance. And a lot of us probably got that picture from the Old Testament. There's this thing in the Old Testament that when people were repenting, they would put on sackcloth and they would put ashes on their head. And uh, sackcloth is more like burlap, and I've told you before, it'd be like having burlap all over your body, uh, quite irritating. And then they would take ashes and they would dump that on them. And it was a sign of brokenness, it was a sign of repentance, a sign of, you know, just their sorrow over their sin. And many of us have uh, kind of carried that whole picture of repentance into our mindset, this kind of Old Testament kind of mindset. Let me stop right there and say we should have a heavy thought of repentance. And certainly it reflects a sorrow over our sin. And yet I pray that as we go through Psalm 51, a psalm written by David after his sin with Bathsheba, that we would see that God truly has a beauty. There's a beauty in biblical repentance. Because it doesn't leave us in a place, but it takes us to a place. And we, hopefully we will see that, not by my words and not by my construction, but what David gave us under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit when he penned this many, many centuries ago. Psalm 51 was written by King David, the same king, uh, one of the most central persons in all the Bible. Uh, it's, we kind of see two sides of David. Uh, we kind of see this young side of David, you know, David and Goliath. David that goes out there and there's this great warrior in general and, and you know, he wins thousands of battles and he has victory left and right. And then a lot of times when we think of David in his older years and the heaviness that came into his life because of his sin with Bathsheba. 
Oh, he was like you and I. He had many other sins, guys. And yet somehow we see that this was kind of the cliff that he fell off. Well, as we go through this, I, I, I want you to see that, yes, there's a cause and effect to sin. Just because God forgives us doesn't mean that he always takes away some of the cause and effect. We reap what we sow. That's not just Old Testament. Believe it or not, it is repeated many times in the New Testament, post-ascension of Christ, okay? So this is a, something that we need to know how sin works in our lives. But if we just saw how sin worked without this hope of repentance and restoration, which I believe is truly the, the best biblical picture of repentance, that God doesn't leave us in a place, but that he's ready to restore us to a place. And that place is rightness with him. Now, folks, we're going to be talking some theology over the next eight to ten weeks because you, when you're talking about sin, and you're talking about repentance, you're going to have to bring in what are the theological truths. You know, really, are we truly forgiven of all past, present, and future sins in Jesus Christ? This pastor would say yes. Not because I think so, but because the Bible says so. Well, then why do we need to repent if we're already forgiven? And so there's a lot of logical kind of dealings with theology that we're going to have. And I hope that when we go through this and we see what David wrote, that we'll see that the theology works itself out. That repentance is as much about relationship as it is position. Position secured in Jesus Christ and his work. Repentance in our lives so that we can have restored relationship on a regular basis with this holy God. And so we begin, and I want you to open this morning to Psalm 51.1. We're we're just going to barely touch on it. Next week we'll get into the the heart of verse 1. Today we're going to do much more of what we used to call it Shadowbrook. We used to always say Nerd Day. And that is, okay, we're going to give you a lot of information for the foundation And next week we'll get into the word. But I think we need to define some of these things. And so this morning we're going to look at that. But look first at at Psalm 51. It mentions two significant events that precede the writing. Sometimes we read a psalm and we don't know quite, okay, what was the occasion? What was the background of this? This one we know. Because it tells us, and it tells us to be quite frank, (laughs) in very exact language. And whether you have the King James this morning, whether you have the ESV, my favorite, the NIV, the ASV, you know, no matter where you're coming from this morning, you're going to see that this kind of prologue, this this kind of this beginning part of verse 1 is a little bit graphic. Find find the two things that that happen here. Verse 1, to the choir master, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him, there's one occasion, after he had gone into Bathsheba. Two events in David's life. And the basis of Psalm 51, this whole message of repentance, is based on these two things. That Nathan, the prophet of God, was uh, the prophet of God sent by God to David, and, the, and that David had sinned with Bathsheba. And while the words and truths expressed in this psalm have been profitable to us on any account, the fact that God gives us the exact details and what this, you know, the, the, the pre-story really helps us. Because maybe we would read Psalm 51, we would read about repentance, and maybe we would think, well, that's if we do what we would consider little sins. Ah, didn't tell my wife the full truth about that. 
Oh, it didn't tell my parents the full truth about this. They said to do that, and I kind of did something different. And maybe we'd say, okay, those are things that we can repent from. But here, knowing the graphic nature, knowing the totality of the sin, that he had an adulterous affair, it brings us to the mind, okay, this repentance thing is serious. And it's for believers. Was David a believer? How did the Bible often describe him? A man after God's own heart. This gives me encouragement, guys. This, this gives me encouragement as a man who wants to have a heart after God's own heart. That even in my sin, that God is working restoration through repentance and telling the truth about my sin. So we see that even before we get into the events, the details of David wrote about in in Psalm 51, and and we get this groundwork so that we can truly have a biblical view of repentance and why it's worthy for us to take eight, ten weeks to go so slow and methodically through this psalm. First of all, I want us to be sure of what repentance biblically is, defined by the Bible, and, and what it's not. The word repentance is found throughout the Bible. As much, as much in the New Testament as the Old Testament. 56 times in the New Testament. It's not a foreign thought. In fact, we're going to find that it was the basis of John the Baptist's ministry, the basis of Jesus' ministry, the basis of Paul's preaching and Peter's preaching. Repentance is the core foundation of all of their messages. And what is the, the definition? Well, when we look up the, the word that's used there, basically it is to change one's mind. Now, how many of y'all growing up saw somebody do this? Repentance is that you're heading in one way and you turn and go the other way. How many of y'all grew up and a pastor or somebody did that? And that is part of repentance. But the core of repentance is in the mind. The core of repentance is that we change our mind about something that God has done in our life, shown us the truth, and then we change that direction very much an attitude change. It's very much an internal thing instead of just based on an external thing. The full course of repentance will change in actions and directions. And we'll see that in Psalm 51. That that he wants not just a changed heart, but he says, restoring to me the joy of thy salvation. Uh, Later on in Psalm 51, we'll see that David says, will you restore to me the purpose, the call that you've placed upon my life? What an important psalm for believers. That number one, we'd be called into repentance. Number two, that we would have the actions of repentance in our lives. Would you agree, church? That even we as believers, that more and more and more as part of our sanctification, need to have an element of repentance in our lives. To agree more and more and more with what God said is sin and disobedience to the things that he would want. Again, that's when we begin to say, well, that's so dark. That's so heavy. And man, what are we going to do? Sackcloth and ashes one day, Pastor? No. Because we have the victory of Jesus Christ to bring us out of that darkness and out of that gloom of our sin into the hope of restored relationship with Christ. Not just positionally forever, and that's what he's done already. Positionally, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ today, your position in Christ is not going to change. You know why? 
Because it's based on His work, not your work. But relationally, I mean, let's take one of the most intimate relationships of our lives. For, for those that are married, I, I'm not trying to be simplistic here, but have there been times that it's been cold in your house? I'm not talking about 62 degrees. And yet you're still married. You have this covenant called marriage. You have this belief, okay, we're still husband and wife, but right now, <laughs> I like to choke him a little bit. <laughs> Or vice versa, you know, where it's one of those things where the relationship is a little disturbed. And yet the foundation is still there. In many ways, that is a pretty decent illustration of the Christ life. Our position doesn't change because it's based on the finished work of what Christ has done. It's the only basis of our salvation. And yet to walk with Christ every day, the light of Christ, the call of Christ, the hope of Christ, means that we, we need to continue to repent of sin and follow that process of changing our mind and agreeing with God so that we can walk in restoration in a practical way. This truth is key in understanding true biblical repentance. Quick question. Is it possible to change your actions without changing your attitude? I heard some no's and I heard some yes. I love wrestling with the Word of God. I mean, I really do. I I like debate and I like this. I I would probably answer that based on my childhood. You go tell your sister you're sorry. You, You go give her a hug. (laughs) <laughs> I'm sorry <laughs> as you put her head underneath there and gravel and, until she turns red nothing changed in my heart but in order to be kind of at least not in trouble with my mom and dad for the immediate you say the words and yet the heart hasn't changed that's why biblical repentance again if you would learn you were going in one way and then you turned and went in the other way understand that's the fruit of repentance, that's the action after the attitude has been changed. But it starts here in the heart. True repentance, is, it starts internal. It starts in the mind and the heart, not in the fingers and the toes. Because biblical repentance is more than just a feeling, though. It's a mental agreement. God, this is sin. Have you ever been convinced by God that something was sin, that maybe somebody else, a pastor, a spouse, somebody else had told you a sin and you disagreed with your spouse or your pastor or your friend? And then God, through his word, through his spirit, kept on speaking to you and convinced you in your heart that it was sin, that it was disobedience to the perfect will of God for your life. That's repentance. That's when you come and and you agree with God. Not with society, not with culture, not even with a spouse. Maybe God was using them to kind of prompt you. But you agree with God. This is wrong for my life. And then, after that agreement with God that this is sin, and I don't want that in my life, then we stop that direction and we do turn. And we go in another direction that brings glory to God. Does that make sense, folks? Because I don't want to throw any of the other form. I have been that preacher before. Well, repentance is when you're heading one way 
and then you come back. I've said that before, and I knew what I meant. But it starts here. Repentance is a matter of the heart and the mind, not the fingers and the toes. Eventually it will work itself out, and the fruit of repentance is changed lives and changed actions. Now, another thing we want to clarify is the difference between repentance, biblical repentance, and regret and remorse. In many ways, have we kind of maybe used those three terms in a synonymous way? Repent. In fact, I don't know that, I think that most people would actually use the words remorse or regret more than they would use the word repent. Unless you grew up in the church, repent isn't really one of those words that going, you know, last week I just found myself repenting all the time. No, we would say, no, I regret that, and I had remorse over something. Regret, remorse, and repentance, three words that some people see as synonymous. I would challenge that they're not. Remorse and regress, remorse and regret do feel similar because they can produce sorrow in our lives. But much of that sorrow is based on the consequences of sin instead of a conviction that that was sin. Follow with me. You have sorrow, you're sad because you got caught. Ever been there before? You're sad, you have sorrow because you lost your job or maybe you lost your marriage. We're not belittling the depth of the sorrow that can come with remorse and regret. But it's different because oftentimes it's associated with our sin and it's this, oh man, I just wish I had not been called. I need to be more clever next time. That thought right there, I'm sorry I got called, I need to be more clever next time, is not biblical repentance. It could be regret. It could be remorse. Judas, the betrayer, the Bible says that he had remorse. He took the 30 pieces of silver, folks, and what did he do? In one way, we could say, okay, he was headed this way, he received the 30 pieces of silver, and then when he realized what he had done, what did he do? He turned and he threw that money back to all the Jewish leaders. And he wept. The Bible says that he wept. Deep emotions. So deep that he took his own life. Remorse or repentance? Not trying to play word games, but I would say that's great remorse. But I would challenge you that I don't believe that that was biblical repentance. Why? Because biblical repentance doesn't stop here in the sorrow. But because of the hope of Christ, it takes us back to living life and and having God's peace and having God's pleasure in our life again. Remorse. Regret, deep feelings, but oftentimes centered on, we just regret that we did it. We haven't changed our mind in our heart. The Apostle Paul pointed out the difference between earthly sorrow, which he agreed that we experience as humans, and godly sorrow, that is repentance. And he said comparison, not because of feelings, but the end results of where they take you. 2 Corinthians 7.10. For godly grief, what's the next word? Produces. There's an action. There's a feeling. There's something that comes from this. 
Godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. Life comes from it. Whereas worldly grief produces death. Rather simplistic, you might say so. An oversimplification, maybe. And at the core, what Paul is doing there is just telling us the nature of the difference between biblical repentance and remorse and regret that comes from the human mindset. So this morning, as we begin to look at it, we begin to want to say, okay, David, did he experience regret and remorse or biblical repentance? And we'll track that for the next eight to ten weeks. But that's the very reason that I'm calling this series the beauty of biblical repentance. I don't know that beauty is the word that usually comes to our mind when we think of repentance. I think we think of those first two pictures. Sorrow and, and you know, sackcloth and ashes and long faces. And I think the Bible itself, not this pastor, but the Bible itself through his word will challenge us that biblical repentance doesn't, it may produce that for a while, but it brings us back to life. Biblical repentance leads to life, hope, and peace. And regret and remorse can't do that. It can't promise that. That was the real message that John the Baptist had as he began his ministry. He was sent by God to be the forerunner to Jesus Christ. Can you imagine being the commercial before Jesus Christ? I hope that you don't think that that was blasphemy for me to say it that way. But, okay, here you're the forerunner. You're the pre-message. And you're kind of setting the stage for the Savior to come. And yet that whole ministry of John the Baptist is about one thing, a call to repentance. Is it just a call to change your actions? Hey, you've been doing this, now we want you to stop doing that and do this instead. Some people could see it that way, but he was talking about a heart change. Because when Christ comes, he he changes out this heart of stone to a heart of flesh. He starts internally, and then the internal change produces an external change, not the other way around. Many of you may have grown up in the 60s and 70s like I did, and I I went to a a very, very conservative uh, church. And uh, basically what I heard every week, I've, I've shared this with you before, is, you know, remember, it's the 60s and early 70s, guys, okay? Cut your hair. Turn off the Beatles and, you know, don't do this and lengthen your skirts, girls. I mean, it was one of these things that somehow external changes would produce a right heart for God. Folks, that wasn't true in the 60s and 70s and not true today. It's not true for your kids anymore than it was true for us. And it will never be true. That just because we have an external change and all of a sudden we modify ourselves culturally to some other standard, religious standard, that somehow we have then become redeemed people. No, we've become redeemed because a gracious God has given us His perfect Son that we might have life in Him, forgiveness of sin, and now all of a sudden, not because somebody tells me not to do this, now the Word of God and the very Spirit of God empowers me not to have enslavement and enslavement of sin in my life. That's our hope, guys. Just hang around long enough to where they change the cultural code. You're living in that day, guys. 
You're living in that day. And that is not God's day. He's already said what is truth. He's already shown us the way. He's already shown us that we cannot keep the law. And so he provided for us one that did keep the law. And that's where our hope is. Well, Bobby, you just when are we going to get to Psalm 51? In the next eight to ten weeks. But if we don't, if we don't get this, folks, then we're going to assume some of these, whether it's a myth, misconception, whatever you want to call it, about what repentance is. That somehow it's an external thing that we did because of religious reasons. And we're pretty good at that. Is it possible to have uh, almost a complete external change without having a new heart? I've seen it happen. And here's here's the sad part, guys. Many of us would equate that with redemption. Well, you know, he was a drinker, a cheater, and a fill in the blank. And he stopped drinking, stopped cheating, da da da. And we would equate sometimes that change of the external with the change of the internal. And do you think that there's been possibly at least one time in human history that somebody changed the external, but the internal was never changed? I think it can happen. I think we can become religious people very easily sometimes if we have the right motivations. God says, no, I I want to change you from the inside out. I want to change your heart, change your mind so that when you think upon these things, you'll be convinced that my way is the right way. And then you'll begin to do different things and choices that you make that reflect true biblical repentance. That was the message of John the Baptist. Look what it says, Mark chapter 1, verse 4 and 5. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance. For what? For the forgiveness of sin. And all the county of, uh, country of Judea and Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. The word confessing there means to fully agree to tell the truth about your sin. That's the change in the mind. God, before I wanted to be kind of Lord of my own life. I wanted to be in control of these things. God, I'm not very good at that. I confess that you're better at that than I am. It's part of repentance. Realize that God has a better way than you do. It can come down and play itself out in a thousand different ways. A changing the mind. Have you ever said to yourself, maybe not externally, but you've said to your own mind, well, it's not really that bad. I know people that do a lot worse. How many of y'all have ever had that moment not only come into your mind, but kind of settle in your mind and your heart? Biblical repentance is changing our mind. God, this isn't a sliding scale. You're not grading on a curve. God, this is sin. And you want me to repent and change my way of thinking. You want me to agree with you on what is holy and what is righteous. Biblical repentance is telling the truth about our sin. Remember what it said in 2 Corinthians? 
There's, a, there's this human kind of remorse and regret, and there's biblical repentance. There's a godly way of changing our heart and our mind. John the Baptist gets arrested, and, and then Jesus comes. If you follow down a couple of verses in Mark chapter 1, Jesus comes on, and one of his first pronouncements as he begins his ministry there in Mark chapter 1 is found in verse 14 and 15. Look what it says. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God, saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. What did he say? Repent and believe in the gospel. What is the gospel? What's another word for the gospel? The good news. Repent and believe in this good news that God has made a way. And so Jesus begins his ministry on this foundation of biblical repentance, that we turn and tell the truth about our sin and admit that we need a Savior. I've told you many times before, that happened to me at at 12 years old, that God showed me my sin, and he showed me a Savior. I didn't understand the theology. I didn't understand a whole bunch of stuff. I just knew that God showed me that I was in my sin and that he had provided one that was sinless to die in my place. This substitutionary atonement. I didn't know that term at 12, believe it or not. I didn't go, you know, wow, this is like substitutionary atonement. I love this. No, I was convicted of my sin. The very Spirit of God showed me that there was a Savior. Because I only get tied up in all kinds of technical theology or this, that, and the other. But it does all blend together. And we see this in the ministry of Christ. He begins his ministry in this offer of salvation that comes through repentance. Just telling the truth about our sin and telling us, confessing that we need a Savior. How did Jesus end his earthly ministry? Now, his ministry continues. He's beside the Father right now. He's uh, praying on your behalf. He's going to the, the, the God the Father on your behalf right now. But before he ascended, one of the last things that Jesus said, look in Luke chapter 24. Luke 24, verse 45 through 47. Says, then he, that is Jesus, opened their minds to, the under, to understand the scriptures and said unto them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. Now look at that word proclaim. Should be proclaimed. Usually do you associate pro- proclamation with something positive or negative? Yeah. I mean, if you, if you go, guess what? We're having a baby. That's a proclamation. Now, if Carly and I found that out, maybe a little bit, it'd be a little bit different from a proclamation. But I promise you, when we found out that we were going to be grandparents again, and then the next time, and then the next time, the next time, it was a proclamation. Hey, guess what? That's going to bless us with another child, grandchild. Two of them are here today. That's a proclamation. So what does Jesus say? He uses this word repentance, this re- and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed. This is an announcement. This is good news. 
And this is what our life should be about right now. Not repent and be damned. Repent and live. This is the gospel. This is the good news. Christ changes everything. Turns sackcloth into ashes into the celebration of a risen Savior. Does that make sense, guys? Because the last thing I want is for us to be left in our remorse and regret. And one day stand before a holy God and he said, repentance was there for salvation. I'm even the one that did that in your heart, in your life. But it was also there for your sanctification. Bobby, you lived years in regret and remorse over shame of sin. And you allowed yourself to, to get back into the bondage of sin. When I had provided a way out. Do you think it would have been easy for David to just give up God's call on his life? When he finally was convinced and told the truth about his sin, and we'll see that in the weeks to come. And he's going to say words like, against God, against God only have I sinned. And I'm going, well, you know, there was Uriah and Bathsheba. And there's this, but we're going to see, okay, what did he mean by that? At the core, he has had a repentful heart because he knew that, you know, all of this, all these choices he made originally, that their offense is against a holy God. They certainly did affect a lot of other people. And I imagine there was a, a time when David said, Okay, God's call on my life has been removed. What if you were in that position? I mean, as I understand it, men, we are to pastor our wives and our families. It's a high calling. I would say it's the highest earthly calling that you can receive. That if God has ordained you to be married, if you are married, if you have children... That your highest earthly call, I see biblically, is that you pastor your family and you pastor them well. Well, how many sins before you kind of have to throw in the towel on that? Without biblical repentance, you just stay in regret and remorse, guys. There's no hope for that. But in biblical repentance, I'm not saying that we get a whole bunch of freebies. Because David would tell you he didn't get freebies. The cost of his sin was ever felt, but God did restore his call upon David's life. His ministry wasn't over. What what a message for us of hope in this day and age. True biblical repentance is based on the, the true kindness and mercy of God. That's the beauty. So many times we put repentance in, and, and we do participate in repentance. Well, folks, we can get into the whole Armenian Calvinism. You just have a heyday with that. And I'm not avoiding that in this series because I don't know how I feel about it. I, I just want you to know this morning, somewhere in the mystery of God, he has given us a free will, and yet he is sovereign. And somewhere in the mystery of all that, God works it out. But here's what I do know. As I read the Bible and I look at biblical repentance, God has given me opportunity to respond to the things that he opens my eyes to. 
And so as he begins to show me through his word and through his spirit that there's sin in my life, I can grieve the spirit. I can resist the spirit. Or I can be led and filled with the spirit of God. So at that point, I forget Calvinism and Arminianism and, and all these different things. Let's just see what the Bible says about how you and I have opportunity to truly have restoration of call, leadership. Maybe it looks a little bit different, but our life is not over because of the fall. We see this in David's confession. That it was not based on how much he regretted or how much pain and heaviness he felt. Look at Psalm 51.1. We finally got there. <clears throat> to the choir master, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him, and after he had gone into Bathsheba, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Not have mercy on me because I really feel deeply terrible about this. And yet he did. Have forgiveness to me because I would never ever do this again. I promise, I promise, I cross my fingers and promise. He comes to God and asks for mercy and grace based on one thing. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. That is our hope, church. It's the hope for our salvation and it's the hope for our continuing sanctification and growing in Jesus Christ until the day that he takes us home. And we're going to see that played out in the next 16 verses. Over the next 8, 10 weeks. Going step by step. Just go, okay, man, what do we learn here? How do we gather this in? And how do we apply this to our lives? Let's pray together this morning. Father, we love you and we thank you. And Father, I imagine if it was up to us, we would uh, probably substitute a lot of things, feelings, remorse, regret, and try to equate those to what we see as biblical repentance. And they may feel some way to say, Father, I have no doubt that Judas felt terrible. Father, I have no doubt because I read in your word that he changed some actions. And, And yet, Father, we see where it led him and left him. Father, we see Peter denying you three times. And he wept bitterly. And he had regret and remorse. But Father, you showed him the pathway of biblical repentance. And you restored to him, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? And you gave him opportunity, Father, have joy and be used by you to to have the call that you had placed upon his life, Father, to be fulfilled. 
Our call may not be to, to be a pastor or this or that. But Father, if you've called us to be a mom, if you've called us to be a, a, a daddy, if you've called us to be a, a teenager in a high school that needs to know the hope of Christ, but if you've called us into all these different callings that you've placed upon our lives, Father, we need biblical repentance in our lives continually. So more and more and more, we agree with your truth and we turn and we walk in your way. Father, use this series, use your word, Father, empowered by your spirit to teach us today as we pray all this in the hope that is Christ Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.